0: Buddy, being here this morning, yeah, I appreciate it, guys. All right, all the kids are stepping out. Fantastic! Hey, give it up for our elementary kids. Yeah, we uh, we love our kids. We really do. I would say just let me just say, just show up hands real quick. Uh, how many in, in? Excuse me. How many of you in here would say that a camp experience somewhere along the way was really important to your own spiritual life? Yeah, me, me too. And I've got I've got multiple stories um, just over the years of God moving, God speaking, God revealing himself. And I would say that just so you know at Vintage, we are a culture of church who has been really intentional to make camp experience, whether for it's our elementary students or obviously one camp for our youth. Are a primary—it's a primary um, piece of our culture, who we are, and the way that we believe God invests into all of our children, right? Not, it's not the end-all, be-all. Camp isn't—camp doesn't save kids. Jesus does, right? Church and their relationship with you is of utmost importance. But still, these moments at camp become these what they call Ebenezer's—these powerful moments of God's movement that you can look back on, you can remember. Like I've literally had moments. Uh, t- whew. Sorry, that was unexpected. This is college students coming to me and wrestling in their faith. And they literally said this to me. I said, where are you? I'm really struggling in my faith. I'm not sure I believe in God except for that moment that I had at camp. And I can't deny the experience that I had with God in that moment. And no matter what happens, I I can't not believe because of the movement of God right there. Kind of like Saul getting knocked off his donkey. You can't deny God's movement, the experience of God in those moments, right? So again, that's what we're doing. So I would just say this. Let me say it again, just real quick. Ginger's not in here. Mark is, so he can attest. Look at the bouncer right there, Mark Fowler right there. Like he's got those <laughs> muscles bulging. He's got his he's got arms like this. So you can see the muscles right now. <laughs> gets to leave. Yeah, then he gets to leave, baby. Oh yes, that's what I'm looking for right there. No, but seriously, with just so listen. We need you to be willing to bring kids into your home for a week. These are college students who love Jesus. You will actually thoroughly enjoy having them with you. It's always a blessing, right? Two, if you have elementary kids, please sign up immediately and then go to all your friends, right? I would love for Vintage to be, have everybody who's a part of Vintage to go. And so please make that happen for the sake of your sake and for your kids' sake. All right. Well, let's dive in this morning. If, again, if you weren't here last week and the week before, we're in our third week of a series called Momentum, just really looking at where we are, kind of an honest assessment. Like, this is where we are right now in the life of vintage two weeks ago, the things we faced, the struggle that we've had like most churches in our nation. And here are the things we want to believe God, right? Begin to believe God and expect, right, just to dive into a level of zeal and of passion and give ourselves this year to saying, Jesus, do what you want to do and some build momentum. Last week, Kurt spent about 30, 35 minutes on a message titled saying yes to the call of God. If you did not listen to it last week, please go to YouTube, look up vintage 242 church, take about 35 minutes and listen to his message as he breaks down in a very simplistic way and understand what it means to be a people who say yes to the call of God. And what that means is a beautiful message. I do encourage all of you to listen to it. And then in, in the idea, like he says at the end of it, he says, Now listen, listen, take time in the presence of God to let him be honest with you about where you are in your life and the calling. And then ask God for grace to step into all of those things, right? So let God be honest that you are in his presence. And then begin to say, now, God, help me where I'm struggling, right? And so this morning, I want to get into this, this, third, this third part of momentum. And I want to focus this morning on a word that I used in the last sentence that Kurt led us to. It's the word presence. And I spe- specifically want to say the, the phrase presence of God. As we continue on with our momentum series this morning, I want to make this assertion. This is on the screen. Josh, you can go ahead and put it there for me. Here it is. It's a starting point. The only way to build spiritual momentum is by being a people who cultivate the presence of God in our life. It's as simple as that. That's the starting point. That's the place we want to say, God, here is the linchpin for momentum in my life. It's not about my striving. It's not about my doing. It's not about the things that I can get done on my own strength and on my own, my own zeal even. It is the presence of God that changes me, that in turn then changes us and changes our trajectory and puts us in a pathway of momentum as we lean into his presence and are changed by it. This morning, I'm going to give a long message to make one primary point, and that's basically it. I'm just going to back up that point. I'm not trying to give you a bunch of things this morning. I'm going to lay out a few different examples just to make one primary point. The only way to build spiritual momentum by being a people who cultivate the presence of God in our everyday life. As human beings, we were designed, in my opinion, I think, I think the sciences teach us this, we were designed to live a life in relationships in the presence of other people. You think about personality tests over the last 30, 35 years, and there's been a lot of language even around extroverts and introverts. Real quick, who are the extroverts in our room? Just real quick, put your hands up if you know. How many of you are, man, we are, I'm an introvert. Put them up. Yeah, you're like, I don't want to put my hand up. I'm an introvert, right? So it's the idea, right? You have extroverts and introverts. So you have learned about it all over the years. And the idea, if you're going kind to of simplify this that e- extroverts love being around people and introverts love being without people, right? Here are a couple of like pictures on the screen we're going to put up real quick just to kind of some introverts. When you finally call someone back and they just don't answer, Go to Dos Equis Man right here. How many introverts are like, that's totally me. I don't always go to parties, but when I do, I don't want to be there, right? Just, and they're like, yes, that's totally me. Now, here's the thing. I, here's the reason I bring this up this morning and talking about people and personalities. I don't care who you are. If you're the, the extrovert of all extroverts, where literally you're managing thousands of friends, or you're an introvert just barely managing one. The fact is, whether it's thousands or the one, all of us want someone. We want some people. We want to have a place of belonging. A place to be known, a place to know, a place to be in relationship, someone that I can be vulnerable with, I can laugh with, I can let my guard down in front of and be in relationship with. So whether you're an extrovert or an introvert who pretends to not like people but really craves it with everything inside of you with just one person, right, or two or three or whatever it may be, the fact is no matter what it looks like, you've been designed To be in relationship. And this is incredibly important as we talk about being a people of God's presence. To recognize that you were designed to want to be with people in relationship. And not just live isolated and alone every day of your life. As human beings we were designed to be in relationship. Because we were created in the image of a relational God. That's the point. Genesis says that we were, we were designed, we were made in the image of God. And this morning I'm making the assertion that God is a relational God. And that's why you long to be in relationship. One thing I've noticed is God likes to be in the presence of people. It's fascinating to me. God loves to be in the presence of of people. And this morning I want to paint the picture. I'm going to say this phrase like four different times. Here it is. Take a picture of it. Write it down. God is a relational God who wants to be present with those he loves. This is a foundational point. God is a relational God who wants to be present with the people and those people that he loves. I'm going to kind of lay out three different pieces of this. In Scripture, you can name others this morning, but I'm trying to get to the point. Let me just say this. Let me kind of look the cat out of the bag. I find People in this culture struggle with the spirit of rejection unlike almost any other generation in the history of our world because we are able to live isolated and on devices away from people living a false reality of social interaction on social media. This is not true away from people. So we're living the most isolated and separate from people we ever have and we're not doing well. And so, in that, I'm getting at, man, I want to make the point. God wants to awaken an understanding that He's a relational God who just loves to be with the people that He loves. Because when all of a sudden that promise and that truth comes alive inside of you, the spirit of rejection begins to tremble and in time is crushed. It just begins with recognizing you are loved and you are liked and he can't wait to be with you. Jesus, would you do I don't care I don't care if I have a terrible message this morning, Jesus, would you just get it into the people who need it most? The fact that rejection can't stay because you love them and you don't want them to be alone and you like them and that you're for them. We ask for grace this morning that you would do a supernatural work that they've been trying to do for 40 years to make it happen. In Jesus' name, break in, Holy Spirit. I don't like you very much, but God likes you. I'm just kidding. All right, here we go. The joke, guys. I told that was a terrible joke. Sorry. But like, that's so mean. I'm playing. Here we go. So God is a relational God who wants to be present with those he loves. I actually do like all of you. That's why I'm the message, right? I was literally in tears preparing this because I just recognize how much he wants to awaken this inside of us. So the beginning point for us of God being a relational God, let's go all the way back to the beginning. I'm looking at Genesis chapter 3, verse 8. And all of you know the first two chapters. I mean, this is the creation story, chapters 1 and 2. We see the, the story of the created order with humanity being the pinnacle of all of God's creation. He creates male and female for each other because he did not want for man to be alone on earth. I love that in chapter two, you see God's sensitivity to man's sense of loneliness and need for relationship. Do you recognize that? God says, oh, oh, it's just not good for him to be alone. This is not good, so I'm going to, I made it in my image, so I'm, gonna, I'm just going to put him in relationship with a perfect partner who compliments. Love that sensitivity. Then in verses 8 and 9 of chapter 3, we we find two of the saddest, I would say, yes, mo- most beautiful verses in all of Scripture. They've just fallen into sin, both of them, right? They're feeling the shame in the moment. They, and in verse 8 it says, and they, both of them, Heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called. The Lord called. Where are you? Where are you? Listen, I've heard theologically say, well, God already knew. He was trying to awaken in them the understanding of their shame to ultimately draw them back to him. But ultimately, like that's great, great theology, but here's the deal. God was calling out to them. Like it's sad, and we're going to look at this a couple of weeks after, just kind of these verses of the sadness, right, where, where they are aware of their guilt. They're aware of their shame. Do you remember parents who have old, like who have older kids now looking back, or even a younger kid? Remember that moment your kid did that thing, and you're like, "Why are they hiding under the bed? Right? You didn't tell them to go there. Why are they hiding in the closet? Why do they have that look like this on their like, whatever? Like, they won't make eye contact. Why? Because there's something in humanity that recognizes when they disobey. There's a shame and there's a guilt attached to it. That's what they're experiencing. They have to go hide themselves in their shame, recognizing their nakedness. It's a terrible moment. But it's also beautiful because what I see here is it says that God came walking in the cool of the day. Like we don't know for sure, and Scripture doesn't say explicitly, but I have to assume that this is just normal. I just have to assume. It doesn't say I wish it did more explicitly, but I have to assume that it was just normal for God to come walk in the cool of the day. It's seemingly normal that he would come down and just, they would automatically, he would automatically see them. I don't think he was doing it kind of duty. I just thought, it's like, he's coming to the cool. I just think he wanted to be with them. Hey, where are you? He was like, where are you? Where are you? That was like that. That's not who he is. He's like, where are you? Hey, this is weird. Where'd you go? Right? Like, I just love the fact that in this moment, Right? God here saying, where are you? He wanted to find them. He wanted to be with them all the way from the beginning. God is a God who comes down with his own effort, his own energy to come and find, to be with the ones who he wants to be in relationship with. God, listen, on the screen is a relational God who wants to be present with those he loves. God is a relational God who wants to be present with those he loves. After the fall of man. As of the fall of man, humanity was now separated from, from God because of their sin. We all know this. But what we find in Exodus, again, is the heart of a relational God, wanting his presence to dwell among those that he loved. He says, speak to the people of Israel, chapter 28, 25, verse 8, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Do you see that? Do you see the longing of a relational God to find people he's separated from that he wants to be with? He says, go make me a home, make me a place. Did he need one? Of course not. Could he just sat in heaven and bless him from a distance? He could have. He's like, but I'm a relational God. How could I do I can't do that. I've never changed. In never changing, I always want to be with my people. I want to be in their presence. I want them to make me a dwelling so I can come just be with them and dwell. Listen, like he's the... He's the father who just always wants to live in the house with his kids all day long. And it would always be a blessing. Unlike it is kind of now when our parents don't live with us right now. But you know what I'm getting at? It's like it's a blessing. It's a good thing. He's perfect in his love. He's perfect in his knowledge. Perfect in his affection. It's beautiful. God's a relational God. And so in this, God wants to be with them. Listen, God's not lonely. Like, God's not lonely. God is completely self-satisfied. In and of himself. He is completely whole. He's completely full, self-satisfied, and he's need of no one or nothing to Jerry Maguire complete him. Right? Isn't anybody complete him? He's completely self-sustaining, self-satisfied, full, and complete, in and of himself. He just wants to be with us. I know it's crazy. I wouldn't want to hang out with me all day long, but he wants to. We see God again here in the Exodus wanting to be with his people. The story of the tabernacle, it's fascinating. You should go read the whole thing. It's like 20, 20 chapters in the book of Exodus, right? I'm just going to give a cursory glance this morning again that leads us to the power of the story. kind of culminates in chapter 40. But from verse 8, chapter 25, to the end of chapter 35, so 10 chapters, god spends it god spends a substantial bit of time talking about the tabernacle he talks about its design all the articles that should fill it and what needed to take place for the priests to enter it then chapter 36 through 39 they begin to just do construction on the things that god had told them to do then chapter 40 kind of getting close right god gives moses a few last commands and then in verse 17, Moses and his team, they take all the, all, the, 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 all the things given by God, and they begin to do construction, right? To build the tabernacle and put it all together in chapter 40, right, Verse 17, they literally begin to, to build it, to erect it, put it up right, and just make it where they can come in. And then something powerful happens. Verse 34 to 35. "I don't want you to miss the power of this. They build the tabernacle. Moses does those things, then the cloud. Cover, listen, I mean, just let this sink in. A holy God says, I choose you. Then the cloud covered the tent of meeting, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. And Moses was not able to enter the tent of meeting because the cloud settled on it, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. The cloud represents the presence of God. You Knows the story, right? Fire, fire by day, cloud, cloud by day, fire by night. God said, yes, and he comes and he dwells among them. I'm a people of your presence. God is a relational God who wants to be present with those that he loves. Another biblical picture of God's desire to dwell with us, relate to and be present with us against the picture of the temple. You all know this. You've been around church for a while. You've heard messages far better than this talking about the temple and the tabernacle and both. In both the portable tabernacle and the stationary temple built by Solomon, God's presence would dwell among his people. But in both of those, there was a place called the Holy of Holies, right? There was like different like layers of the temple. So there was the outer courts, the inner courts, right, all these places. And every place, the further you went, and quote unquote, the more holy it was. And the Holy of Holies was where God's literal, tangible presence would dwell. And there was a large, heavy veil about this thick. At least I remember that from kindergarten, right? That was lifted with the intent of keeping the Holy God From an unholy people. So there's a room and then there's a room over here. And the presence of God dwelt here. Tangible glory, power, the magnitude of God. And there's a veil like this to separate people. And God didn't have it put up because he didn't like people. God had it be lifted to protect us. Because an an imperfect, unholy human being like us walking into the presence of a perfect, radiant, glorious, like the sun, glowing type holiness, we would melt and die immediately like Olaf by a fire and frozen. Right? You remember that whole movie? Olaf's like, I like the fire. And everybody's like, what's he talking about? He's an idiot. He's going to melt. God put the veil up so we wouldn't melt in his presence. can't coexist, holy and unholy, until someone pays the price, takes away the sin, the guilt, and makes us capable of coming into his presence. Jesus, cross, resurrection, and for those who believe and surrender their lives to Jesus, he takes all of their unholiness, puts it on him, and says, now you can enter into his presence Unashamedly, no barriers, you can experience his presence and be warmed and be undone by his traits of goodness. It's the work of the cross. And I love this. I I just love this. Mark chapter 15, 37 and 38. I think so often we try to over-theologize scripture and actually miss what God's trying to say in it. Just the practical pieces of it. Look what it says. <clears throat> i get some water, babe. I'm dying. Thanks. Let's have a holy moment. Hmm. All right. I love this. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. Sad. Verse 38. And God said, yes, took the veil, ripped it from top to bottom and said, no more lack of my presence with my people. There's no holy of holies now. So in the heart of man, I'm going to come and dwell with him. It's going to be so good. I can't wait to get there. Do you see the practical part of God's heart and his desire and his longing to be with us? Because he was a relational God. He is a relational God who just wants to love and relate and be in the presence of his people. Don't miss that, guys. God was sitting with his hands on it going like this. Oh, it's about to happen. <laughs> right? I mean, I'm sure he was sad his son died, but you know what I'm getting at, right? Curtains, fails, torn, so good. The imagery is powerful. Jesus died in the first response of God to take away the very thing that separated us from him. God is a relational God who wants to be present with those whom he loves. Everybody say me. He's talking about us. He's talking about you individually, some of us as a people. Oh, man, this is so good. And then attached to this truth is another truth. And on the screen. We, you and me, you and I, whatever the correct grammar is, we are a relational people who have been designed to be present with a relational God. We are made in his image. We are a relational people who have been designed to be present with a relational God. Augustine's famous line from Confessions on the screen captures this sentiment. He says, for thou has formed us for thyself. And our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. Powerful. Even in the funky grammar, it sounds great. For thou hast formed us for thyself, and our hearts are restless till they find rest in thee. Another way of saying it could be this. This is my own. We were designed to be restless until we find the restful presence of Jesus. We are a relational people who have been designed to be present with the relational God. And in that place, we're able to rest and find peace. I've been, so I've been reading The Pursuit of God by A.W. Toes. You may have read that. Get to chapter 3 through like 5. I took some of these pieces from him because he's super smart and great. But he says this another way. I encourage you all to read it. He says, The world is perishing For the lack of the knowledge of God and the church is famishing, starving for want of his presence. The instant cure of most of our religious ills would be to enter the presence and spiritual experience, become suddenly aware that we are in God and that God is in us had a friend of mine say one time, and this, again, this was his his experience. I'm not denying his experience, but I said, what what changed, what changed the the prayer ministry of your own life? He goes, oh, it's super simple. I am praying for someone in our church on a Sunday morning, and, like, I just can't, I'm I'm not aware of anything going on. There's no stirring. And all of a sudden, he said, I don't know what happened. This sounds crazy. You don't have to believe me, but this is my story. I look up, and I saw a belt buckle. And he said, and I looked up and realized about a, a nine-foot angel standing in front of me. And he said, I don't know, things just changed after I saw that, <laughs> right? Because he recognized it wasn't about my power. It wasn't about my strength. It was about the power of Jesus, right? When you all of a sudden come into that moment of awakening and awareness to the goodness and the power of God, all of a sudden something changes. You're like, oh, right, that's the point. Listen. That's the point. Suddenly, become aware that we are in God, and God is in us, and everything changes. We are a people of the promise. As I said, we are a relational people who have been designed to be present with a relational God. We were designed for God's presence. I'm coming to the end. We were designed like God to long for relationship with God and His presence. We will always feel. Listen, we will always feel lacking and always feel incomplete when we are not in His presence. Our presence, listen, our presence, this is powerful. Our presence, it is the desire of God's heart. Remember, he's a relational God. God's presence is the only home and true place of rest for your heart and for mine. To be a people of his presence means, listen, to be a people of his presence means this. The traits that define him. The traits that define him become the very thing that we behold, we experience, and then we are shaped and changed by them. It's a simple relational math. We are shaped by those we live with, we are shaped by those we relate to, and we are shaped by those we give our time to. Whether you like it or not, whether how strong you are, I don't care who you are, who you're with, who you're around, and the things you talk about will ultimately shape you. Be around God and let his traits shape you. That's what we're longing for. We have been created to be a people of his presence, to experience his traits and be shaped by them. Here's a few. We are to be shaped by the power of his eternal nature. He has no beginning in no end he is eternal he is savior everything else you wrestle with even from the work of the enemy he was created he's eternal he's bigger the great thing of god is to awaken to go oh you're bigger and more powerful than everything else in my life we become awakened to his immutability it's a great big word it means he's never changing Awaken to his immutability, his unchangingness. God can't love you any more or any less than he does right now because he's unchanging. His mercy for you is not more tomorrow and less today. It's always the same. He's unchanging. His desire for a relationship with you, no matter what sins you are committing or not, right, never changes. They like, just want to be with you. Never changing, He's immutable. He's never changing. We become awakened to His omniscience. So, I kind of paraphrase this, but He says, "He, listen, God knows in omniscience, all knowingness, right? He knows in one free and effortless act all things in spirit, all things in minds, all things on earth and the physical, all events past, present, and future, effortlessly." Like this, I don't know about you. That produces peace inside of me to know his omniscience, to know, oh, I don't know, but you do. I get into your presence and I rest in your knowingness. We come into the place of things we always talk about, his love, where we experience his joy, his mercy, his kindness. We were designed to live in the presence of all God is designed, defined by. We were designed to live in the presence of all God is defined by. We are relational people who have been designed to be present with the relational God because God is a relational God who wants to be present with those he loves. I'll end this morning with a couple of thoughts. This is another Tozer quote because I just thought it was good. God is so vastly wonderful, so utterly and completely delightful, that he can, without anything other than himself, doesn't need to bring the bells and the whistles, doesn't need inflatable slides, Doesn't need fun games, doesn't have to have perfect experience of smoke and light shows and all that kind of stuff. No, just by himself, he can meet and overflow the deepest demands of our total nature, mysterious and deep as that nature is. The place I want to land, in Hoover's leading worship, you can go ahead and come this morning. The place I want to land this morning is that you were loved by a God who wants to be present with you. So you can experience all of his life-changing traits. The heart of God this morning for you, what he wants you to know is, I love being in your presence. And when I come, I can't wait to destroy rejection and loneliness inside of you. And I want to let you know that I want to be present with you and all things of your life. Just put yourself in a posture to receive this morning. Take a deep breath. release you from feeling like you have to do something just right in this moment to come into his presence. I love the story of the prodigal son. He literally reeked of his sin. He literally smelled like pigs. He smelled like trash. He smelled horrible. And he came And the father ran to him because the father couldn't wait to be with his smelly son, to wash him, to cleanse him, to make sure he pulls out of that life, but to then bring him in. So, the idea is I come to the Lord's presence saying, Whatever you need to melt away to reveal, I give you, then do that. Because I don't want anything between us.
1: Because I want to
0: experience the radiant traits that define who you are so that I am changed and filled and satisfied. And then say, Holy Spirit, would you come today? And would you fill me? May your presence all of a sudden just cause all the loneliness, all the despair, all these roots of rejection just begin to melt like Olaf in front of the fire. Team worships this morning. We're going to have ministry teams on both sides, and the people who are I mean, on both sides, I know them. They would never pretend to have everything together in all of this, pretend like they know all the answers. But I'd say they know Jesus, and they would love to pray for you for a breakthrough, for for healing. They would love for pray and lead you to Jesus and salvation. They just love to pray for God's grace, it's God's blessing we have not earned. Experience in this morning so you respond as the Lord leads I invite you to take communion this morning I invite you to take communion to say there's a grace that occurs as we engage the elements his body broken his blood poured out as you take it this morning say God again I surrender myself to you and I want to be in your presence and experience you today and every day moving forward the way that I never have. He responds. The Lord leads. I'll come praise that.